Today is October 16th, 2020. Twitter gets into some seriously hot water after blocking a news story about Joe Biden's son. Trump and Biden both have a town hall, and senators duke it out in the last day of Supreme Court confirmation hearings. What is up, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family? We got a show for you today that is going to knock your socks off. I'm serious. I'd, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. This is the best episode that I've done yet. And it's true. It's true. You guys have got to listen in. This is the best episode that I've done. We're bringing at you stuff from guess which side? From the left side. We're bringing stuff at you from which side? from the right side. And we're doing our best to try and find that truth right there in the middle. We're splitting the difference. And there are so many things to look at today. This has been a big week in the media, per usual. It's been a long week in the media, per usual. And we've got a lot of stuff leading up to the election that it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. So if this is your first time logging in to the Split the Difference podcast, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. The overall purpose of this of this podcast is to be more civil, to be reasonable, to be level-headed, to take a look at politics from both sides of the aisle and try to find the moderation and try to find the truth that sits in the middle. All of us want to have less divisive rhetoric. All of us want to be able to enjoy political conversations with friends and with family. And we want to see less of the divisiveness on the news and in the media and from our politicians. So... This is hopefully a place where we can start. We can start to cultivate that. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and hop on in to our story number one. So first story, Hunter Biden's story gets blocked on Twitter and on Facebook. So big story was basically that uh, the New York Post, which is a perfectly legitimate news site. You may not agree with its right with with its right leaning bent, but they report the news. Okay, it's I guess somewhat similar to like an MSNBC or maybe a Huffington Post. Actually, a little more I guess up along the New York Post uh, alley there. So, a story about Hunter Biden gets released. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the actual Hunter Biden story because I think the real story here actually lies in it getting blocked all over Twitter and Facebook. But the premise of the Hunter Biden story is basically um, they were alleging that someone brought a lap that Hunter Biden brought a laptop in and left this laptop at this computer repair shop. The guy who is, I guess, somewhat of a conspiracy theorist, and he, it kind of appears that he's a little bit right wing as well, um, brings this laptop into the to the authorities and is like, "Hey, listen, this has got a ton of incriminating stuff on Hunter Biden." And apparently, the laptop had a bunch of pictures of Hunter Biden doing a whole bunch of drugs and hooking up with women and he was doing a bunch of terrible stuff but it also more importantly had a bunch of emails and it verified specific calendar dates about uh Hunter Biden communicating with and and being involved with a lot of corruption in the Ukraine. So this has been a hot button topic for a long time. Basically, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, using his father's position as vice president and his father's position of power in United States politics to make a lot of money overseas. You heard Donald Trump talk about it in the Biden 
Trump debate a couple a couple weeks ago. Trump was like, "Well, you you know, your son, you know, that Russia and Moscow has been giving your son all this money, and your son's been getting money from China, and you know, there a whole bunch of Republicans have been jumping up and down for a long time about about all this corruption that uh, is tied to the Biden campaign through Joe Biden's son Hunter, who is for the most part, it seems like." going around the world doing a bunch of drugs and making a lot of money based on his father's based on his last name. So, um at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I don't necessarily know that there's anything illegal or super incriminating in any of the stuff that the New York Post released, but it looked pretty bad on Joe Biden. All of this released just 3 weeks before the election. It's apparently obvious that the Joe Biden campaign would not want this stuff circulating around widely. Big enough story, though. They had plenty of proof and pr- plenty of evidence behind what it is that they posted. It's not like it was a fake story. It, very, it was very much a real piece of journalism and of investigative journalism that the New York Post released. Okay, Before the story could even really get extremely widely circulated around, Twitter blocked it. Um, Twitter went through and basically kept the story from being sent around via tweet that you couldn't direct message the story. Um, and it, it started, I, I mean, as right as it started to gain a little bit of notoriety, Twitter stepped in and was like, uh, no, you're not allowed to tweet it. You're not allowed to share it. You're not allowed to DM it on the ma- on the, um, in, on the Twitter app. And this of course enraged Republicans. Okay. And rightfully so. They feel like in a lot of ways, and on the right side of the aisle, they're basically sitting here looking at like, you guys have been claiming for years, and by you guys, the Democratic side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle in the media, have been claiming for years that Donald Trump is this horribly corrupt person that you guys have been trying to accuse him of collusion with Russia. You guys have been trying to accuse him of um, having a whole bunch of foreign assets so that he's... uh, tempted by or can is easily attacked by foreign people or foreign actors. You guys have been accusing Trump of all the stuff. You've investigated him. And now when a story comes out about Joe Biden, why is it that Twitter, who is not supposed to be left-leaning or right-leaning, comes in and blocks it before it even can gain any type of like big worldwide notoriety and before this story can really get out? Um, it definitely looks pretty suspect. So, um, this happened all throughout the day. Okay. Uh, Kaylee McEnany had her account suspended and she, she's the white house press secretary. Okay. There were a lot of people that had their accounts suspended. There were a lot of people that got in trouble for, uh, retweeting or trying to circulate this article around. And by the end of the day, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter realized that Twitter had made a pretty huge mistake in doing this. So he comes out and tweets, um, Quote, our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking, unacceptable. So, he realizes that it was a blunder, okay? It doesn't look like he's super apologetic about it, but it definitely, he definitely realizes like, all right, we came in and blocked a story without having said that it's not true, without like verifying any of the facts, without um, any type of explanation or reason behind it at all. And we just said, no, we're not going to let this circulate around. It is a bad look for Twitter. So 
this gets into the big story, okay? Republicans for a long time have decried that, you know, foul play on behalf of these large tech companies saying that they're limiting the free speech or they're shadow banning or they're keeping Republican or conservative content from being promoted on uh, messaging, on any type of messaging boards or being circulated around in algorithms. So because all these tech companies keep their all of their algorithms completely proprietary. Like nobody knows exactly how Twitter's algorithm works from top to bottom. Nobody knows how the algorithm at YouTube or Google or Facebook or any of these big tech um, websites or social media websites. Nobody knows exactly how they work. And in fact, the vast majority of the high level employees at these places probably don't even know how they work because they're so complicated. There's so many different moving pieces, but they keep them proprietary and they keep them under wraps for a reason. Um, now, they don't want, all these tech companies, first of all, of course, don't want other people to know their algorithm because that's where their differentiator is. But it also is clear that they don't want the algorithm to be out there because they don't want people to come in and tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing on their algorithm. They want to be able to control it. So um, bottom line is, what is incredibly clear is that both Twitter and Facebook stymied this article from being released and from being pushed out. The article was obviously going to be bad for Joe Biden, and Twitter and Facebook went out of their way to keep this article from being circulated. That is not good. So it gets into this huge question, right? And this is a question in this day and age that neither side of the aisle have a good answer for. Both of them somewhat, I feel like they would say they disagreed very simply because they don't want to agree with the other side of the aisle, but they're both looking at it from two different perspectives. And so we're going to sit down and look at it from the left and the right and kind of figure out, you know, how it is that both sides of the aisle are trying to address this issue. But the big question is what responsibility do tech companies have in allowing free speech and also in stopping disinformation? So there's no doubt that big tech companies have ballooned over the past 20 years, um, especially with FANG stocks, as many of you have probably heard. But Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google make up almost 25% of the S&P 500 stock index. So that's just five stocks, okay? There's, there's, that's a huge amount of wealth and a huge amount of capital. That's a huge amount of market size for just five stocks, five companies to make up the largest stocks on the S&P 500 index, which is a measure of the largest 500 companies in the United States on the United States Stock Exchange. So, um, or not on the United States Stock Exchange, but within the United States stock market. So, um, so far, neither of the aisle has really been able to properly address what to do about the size of these companies and what to do about their influence and their sway through the algorithms that they have. They can very easily tweak and move things back and forth to uh, sway elections or to convince people or to show people material that they only want to see. It's, a lot of people argue that it's causing more echo chambers. So, um uh, basically what happens now is, and what has ended up happening is a big tech company will do something and then, uh, the Democrats or the Republicans will go on the defensive. Okay. And that's what happened, uh, this week. So Ken Buck, a Republican re uh, representative from Colorado immediately sent a letter to the department of justice, asking them to investigate both Twitter and F Facebook for censorship. Um, and it appears that a lot of the Republicans are starting to line up on the side of the tech companies needing to basically stay out of apparent moves to censor and stop misinformation. Um, 
a lot of the Republicans are starting to line up on these tech companies shouldn't be stepping in and shouldn't be bridling or stymieing our First Amendment right to free speech. Um, that, you know, many on the right have argued that the tech companies should not be writing code that is going to slow down the spread of one viewpoint simply because they don't like the viewpoint. And they absolutely have, you know, they have a hu- have a good point here, right? Um, it's It's pretty clear that the left, that the media starts, it gravitates more left wing, right? The vast majority of these large CEOs at a lot of, a lot of these companies all donate very heavily to liberal and to democratic side causes and, or candidates. Um, and that's not necessarily saying that they're purposefully attacking Republicans, but it does normally seem like a lot of the stories that get shadow banned or a lot of the story, a lot of the accounts that get closed down, a lot of them are right wing, uh, more conspiracy theorists or just right wing people in general. Um, and this is, and this is, this is not good, right? It's not a good look on Twitter and it's not a good look on Facebook. So the left on the other side of the aisle, however, argues that the only problem here is not necessarily them censoring or them stopping disinformation or them keeping people from doing or saying bad things. Um, their problem is that the companies are too big and they're just taking advantage of people and they're taking advantage of smaller businesses. So multiple Democrats have come out and said that they think that the big tech companies need to be broken up. Elizabeth Warren got a ton of notoriety about this about two years ago. She came out and said that uh, we need to go through and start breaking up these monopolies in the same way that Roosevelt broke up all the big trusts back in the early 1900s. Um, And it's obvious that they don't necessarily have much of a problem with the tech companies slowing down First Amendment rights or free speech because most of the stuff that they slow down is not left-leaning articles, uh, but they do have a problem with large businesses. And you know, the left and the Democrats have had a problem with large businesses taking advantage of small, you know, the small man, the small guy, uh, for a very long time. That's kind of the big point of the Democratic platform is helping out the little guy. So what we can do is we can acknowledge kind of two things right now, and I don't necessarily have a solution for all of this, but what I can say is that this is something that needs to be discussed, it needs to be talked about, and we need to see both sides of the aisle put their heads together in order to solve this problem. Um, One, we could acknowledge that tech companies have an absolutely egregious amount of power, which can be used to attack either side of the aisle. If they're attacking the Republicans right now or slowing down stories for the Republicans right now, it's not going to be long before tech companies start to slow down or stop stories that the left starts to put out as soon as the left starts to attack big tech. Those big tech companies are not out there to be able to sway elections. They're out there because they want to make more money. As soon as they figure out ways to make more money, that's what they're going to do. Um, they, we also can acknowledge that they are absolutely gigantic and they of course squash competition. Amazon has been notorious for buying out, for running over and for totally squashing out competition within their market. And that's one of the ways that they've gotten so big. So, um, of course they're starting to limit free speech because they're getting into a territory where there's a ton of disinformation on the internet and a lot of the tech companies do feel a responsibility of stopping that because it's so easy to spread disinformation on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever a social media platform is. But there has to be bipartisan support in this. When Teddy Roosevelt was going through and breaking up the trusts that were you know, squashing competition that were taking stuff out on the little man. Teddy Roosevelt was a very progressive Republican. 
But he had help from both Democrats and Republicans. He had help from both sides of the aisle. Many of the Democrats didn't think that he was going to step in and actually break up some of the trusts. And many of the Republicans didn't think that the trusts needed to be broken up. But Teddy Roosevelt stepped in. He rallied both sides of the aisle to one specific cause of helping out the American people, not by limiting companies from necessarily getting big or from uh, companies making money through fierce competition and having a better product, but from stopping companies from taking advantage of people in the marketplace constantly and uh, hopefully helping the companies to help the everyday person. It's going to require bipartisan support now, just like it did in the early 1900s, because this is a problem that needs to be solved. It's a problem that uh, having having stories like having having companies like Twitter and Facebook stop stories like the New York Post article that are legitimate investigative journalism, whether or not you agree it's correct, totally fine and up to you. That's why we have investigative journalism. It's not good to have them to be able to just push a button and stop a story completely. Um it's going to end up pushing people away from the platforms. And at the end of the day, we'll have, I mean, the, the government, it's, there's some people that don't think the government need to step in at all, but it, it is cl- clearly apparent that the Republicans and the Democrats have a problem with the way things are going right now. And there needs to be some sort of bipartisan, bipartisan solution. So with all that, we're going to go ahead and move on into story number two. So, story number two, Biden and Trump both get town halls. Now, hilariously enough, Biden already had a town hall scheduled for last night at 8 o'clock. Trump was angry and he was upset. He threw a little bit of a temper tantrum because they were going to move their debate for earlier this week on t- online, and he said that he didn't want to do that. So, MSNBC, of all <laughs> news channels, decides to give Trump a town hall at the exact same time as Joe Biden's. It is almost like these news and media people do not want people to decide between Joe and Trump. They want for people to just be divided. They want for people to just listen to what they want to listen to and not even worry about what the other side says because the other side is terrible. It blows my mind. Also, it's crazy that MSNBC did this because they are one of the more liberal uh news news stations i mean like openly so um and you know that's that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but they're kind of like the fox news i guess of the left in a lot of ways they are very left-leaning so um nbc got on i you know msnbc has trump on i was honestly kind of blown away that they did this so we're going to go ahead, hop in, and listen now to some of the highlights. Did you take a test on the day of the debate, I guess uh, is the I bottom line. I probably did, and I took a test the day before and the day before, and I was always in great shape, and I was in great shape for the debate. The president doesn't wear a mask or makes fun of folks like me when I was wearing a mask for a long time. Then, as you know, people say, well, it mustn't be that important. After contracting COVID-19 yourself, has your opinion changed on the importance of mask wearing? No, because I was okay with the masks. I was good with it. So this is actually coming up on, uh, I'll go ahead and pause it here because this is probably one of the biggest bombshells from the Biden debate. Uh, I'll get into kind of both of the highlights on both of them, but this was one of the bigger the bigger stories from last night. Uh, it's a young black man. Uh, if you're not watching, it's a young black man that asks uh, Joe Biden a question basically about what he's going to do in order to get young black and brown women to vote. And uh, he asks it in a very, very uh, pointed way. So listen in. Besides, you ain't black. 
What do you have to say to young black voters who see voting for you as further participation in a system that continually fails to protect them? Right. So uh, that young black man came in and absolutely brought the heat on Joe Biden, um, asking him what he's going to be able, what he's going to do to get young black and brown voters uh, actually to the polls. Um, and quoting Joe Biden there on uh, Joe Biden going on a radio show and basically saying that black people ain't black if they're not going to vote for him. So let's listen to a couple more highlights. Well, I say, first of all, as my buddy John Lewis said, it's a sacred opportunity to right to vote. You can make a difference. If young black women and men vote, you can determine the outcome of this election. Not a joke. You can do that. Everything that you saw over the summer, and it was a terrible thing, a terrible thing to watch. And some people don't like it when I say it, but a lot of people agree. I have done more for the African-American community than any president with the exception of Abraham Lincoln. All right, so Donald Trump there at the end, uh, that's his famous line. It's been his famous line for a long time, uh, he, that he has done more for uh, the African-American community and the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln. And the, actually, the, a great part of this video, if you were watching the town hall last night for Donald Trump, there was a woman just behind him and to the right. It looked like a, a young black or Latino woman that was sitting behind him, um, and I she was nodding her head in agreement the entire time. She was obviously a huge fan of Donald Trump. And I don't know if they placed her there purposefully. They probably did. But she was sitting there nodding along to everything he said. And it was a good look for Donald Trump. So um, anyway, so a couple of the highlights uh, for Donald Trump. And it's unfortunate that they had him at the same time. Because, of course, you can't watch them at the same time. I was sitting down last night with my laptop, basically just flipping back and forth as fast as I possibly could in order to be able to get uh, both sides of the aisle. It's it's not easy to do that. It's I mean, it's like these all these media outlets don't want you to look at both sides of the aisle. But they can't stop us here split the difference. That's what we're going to do. So anyways, let's hop in. Let's look at Trump. So Trump, biggest things that we saw from him, he was touting the economy. So... Ask him. Uh, there was a question that got asked to him about basically like, all right, the economy, you know, was great before somewhat. Like, what are you going to do in order to make it better? Like, how are you going to pull us out of this mess right now that we're in with the pandemic? And Donald Trump says, basically, we have an extremely strong foundation that I built through the tax cuts. Uh, we reduced those taxes very purposefully to be able to bring more business into the United States to be able to get corporations bigger, to be able to increase wages and whatnot. And uh, if we get in again, we're going to pass a huge middle income tax bracket uh, or tax package. Um, and he was his big thing was if Biden comes in, he's going to destroy your taxes. He's going to make it look terrible. So then they asked, and uh, the moderator for uh, MSNBC against Trump, I mean, with Trump, she was definitely coming after Trump, and she was trying to hold him accountable on everything that he was saying, but she it was apparently obvious that she was not a big fan of Trump. And that's pretty normal with pretty much any news outlet that you have right now. Donald Trump goes on Fox News or something like that, that you know they're just going to give him some softball questions, but pretty much anybody else, they're going to they're gonna ride him pretty hard. So she asked him about his taxes, and she said, basically, who do you owe money to? Uh, she was like, and Trump answered the question by basically saying, uh, the New York times getting my taxes is illegal. Plus all the numbers were wrong. Uh, plus I'm extremely under under leveraged that $400 million that you saw there. Um, that's, that would be a very, very small portion of the amount of money that I actually have in assets. I'm actually extremely under leveraged. And so she was like the moderator 
said, oh, okay, so is that $400 million number right? And he, you know, didn't say that it was right, but he didn't say that it was wrong. And he kind of went back and forth and he was like, I'm extremely under leveraged. And he, he did say, I filed plenty of financial disclosures, but people don't want to look at that. They just want to look at, you know, something that claims to be my tax, all my taxes and stuff. And he said that he doesn't owe Russia money. Um, so he pretty much just kind of talked in circles. He said a whole bunch of random stuff, pretty classic Trump political jargon there. He didn't want to answer those questions because of course the tax, the tax income taxes and all that stuff, he is actually under audit, verifiably under audit. And so that's why he says that he can't. And of course, nobody would release their taxes if they're under audit. Um, so he, uh, pretty much kind of talked in circles a little bit, dodged some of the questions around the taxes. Um, and then he, for the most part, just kind of, I guess, tried to deflect there. So, um, all in all, Trump's big argument was basically that he did a really, really good job the first time around, that he uh, made America great again, right? That he created an incredible economy, that he reboot, rebuilt the military to back where it needed to be. Um, he had the, the greatest tax and regulate. he actually said, the greatest tax and regulation cut in this country's history. Wow. Um, and then we've had basically a new level of jobs like we've never had before. So Trump came through and was like, listen, the reason why you know that you should vote for me is because these past four years have been incredible. And that is somewhat of a sentiment for United for Americans. Okay, there was a Gallup poll that was done about a week or so ago. Asked Americans if they thought that they were better off right now than they did than they were four years ago, and a majority of Americans said that they were, which is incredible, seeing that we are in the middle of a pandemic and an economic recession, and they say that they're better off now than they were four years ago before Trump took office. <coughs> Excuse me, that that's pretty incredible. So, um, well, let's go ahead and hop in then on Joe Biden. So. I personally thought that of the two debates, okay, Trump had it a little bit against him with the moderator, and but he, he was getting some tough questions just like Joe Biden was. Um, Joe Biden held himself very, very well. He did a good job last night. From everything that I saw from Joe Biden's uh, town hall last night, he carried himself very well. He responded to questions well. He was coherent. It wasn't any of the normal kind of like babbling Joe Biden that you've seen a lot over the past couple weeks or past couple months where like he's just saying some random stuff and talking in circles. He was he was on his A game last night. So I think one of the shining places that he had was about uh, policing and was about crime. So he talked a lot about uh, wanting to police at the community level, wanting to be able to have police in the communities. They know the people's names. They communicate with those people regularly. And they're there to protect their community and they're to protect their people. Um, he said that we have to make sure that cops know who the community members are, that um, uh, that a lot of the crime stuff that he supported in the past has uh, actually helped crimes. And he didn't come out and say that we need to abolish the police. He said that we, there needed to be more policing. And he said that if he gets into office, he wants to set up a national study group that's made up of cops, psychologists, sociologists, black and brown people, get all of them together and have them come up with some brainstorm, some good reform. He wants to push for more transparency and look for systemic problems within departments specifically. And then he wants to build trust between cops and communities. All of them very good points. He did a very, very good job of answering the question about what do we do about the police brutality problem that we have in America and about 
um, a lot of what a lot of people decry as systemic racism, okay? He basically was like, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, every single cop is out to kill all black and brown people. I'm also not going to sit here and say that we don't have a problem at all because neither of those things are true. He took a very much more, guess what, moderate position in the middle and he was like, he was being completely reasonable about it. I was honestly very, very impressed by how Joe Biden had answered the question about police brutality and stuff. So, next thing that he talked about was the Supreme Court. Kind of lost me a little bit here. Um, he, he said that we have a lot of reason to be concerned about the AC, about uh, Amy Coney Barrett getting confirmed. Um, and he said that especially for the LGBT community, they could have a lot of their rights rolled back. I don't really see necessarily how. Amy Coney Barrett would get in and do that. He didn't give an example as to how. He just said that they should be worried. Um, it's kind of some of the same talking points that a lot of uh, Democrats have had. Healthcare's in jeopardy. Rose in jeopardy. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but his biggest point here was, or the biggest, I guess, where he got pressed was, uh, should you expand the court? And so uh, the moderator there on the uh, for the Democratic town hall or Joe Biden's town hall was basically like. You have said before that you don't believe that we should pack the courts, but now you're coming out and you're saying that we maybe could pack the courts. Where do you actually line up on this? Because this is something that voters need to know. And Joe Biden basically gave the answer of, well, we'll see. Not a very good answer there, Joe. Joe Biden doesn't want to give an answer because he knows it'll be a huge story. So... He comes out and he's like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to basically just wait and see what happens. And if she gets confirmed and I get elected into the presidency, then, you know, we'll just have to see what I'll do. And it's like, what? That's not good at all. <laughs> That's a terrible answer there. So uh, as all, at, per usual, he's kind of been dodging that a little bit. Um, but if you're looking at both sides, all right, uh, and you're looking at who answered questions well, both of them answered questions, I guess, decently well. It was a lot better than the debate because you were actually able to sit down and listen to policy and stuff. But overall, I think that Joe Biden did an incredibly good job of answering questions. He wasn't avoiding stuff nearly as much as uh, Donald Trump was. He was very pointedly answering people. He got answered a couple of really tough questions. For example, like the young black man that asked him the question basically called him out for saying that people ain't black if they don't vote for him. And Joe Biden had a decent answer for it, right? Like he came back and he was like, listen, uh, the right to vote is an incredible right. And uh, if, you know, black and brown, young black and brown women can absolutely change uh, the course of this election through them coming in and voting. So uh, I think that Joe Biden did a very good job here. Uh, I don't necessarily support every single policy or everything that Joe Biden said, but he did a good job at least articulating his points. And there were some points where Trump did very well as well, like on the economy, touting what he's done, touting what he wants to do with tax reform. Um, it was very interesting uh, to see kind of them both, I guess, in their own environments or, you know, I guess in places where they are supposed to be doing well and getting their messages out to the people and seeing how they are reacted uh, in those each respective environments. So that being said, let's go ahead and move on into story number three. So story number three, we're just going to very quickly cover the final day of hearing. So uh, the fourth day of the hearing started out yesterday a bit cantankerously, if I can say that. Good SAT word there. Um, only one Democrat showed up. Dick Durbin showed up uh, because they technically are not allowed to start unless there's two people from each party there. At least two people from each party's there. Classic. So Lindsey Graham decides to start anyway. 
also classic. And uh, he allowed a Dick Durbin to vote by proxy. Obviously, Durbin wasn't happy by this. He said that it was foul play. The Democrats were obviously trying to slow things down. Lindsey Graham was not having it. Eventually, the other Democrats just showed up late and slowly but surely kind of pilfered in. And um, Amy, so Amy, Amy Coney Barrett wasn't there yesterday. Uh, the senators debated amongst themselves and brought in uh, outside witnesses. Um, pretty much just all this regular old politics playing out. Um, when it comes down to it, it was not a very exciting day. Uh, the Democrats have decided a couple of pretty random things. Like, for example, Amy Coney Barrett used the term sexual preferences, and now apparently this is offensive, um, which was not offensive before last week, but now it is offensive. Um, there, It seemed like a lot of the Democrats started to move towards like attacking Amy Coney Barrett and trying to paint her as like a, like a racist person or a bigoted person, which normally, unfortunately is what a lot of the line attacks starts to go to when the Democrats feel like they're kind of put in a corner, but they're absolutely in a corner right now. The Republicans are going to push through with this regardless. Um, they've done everything they can to ask questions and try to get their message out to the American people about this. I do think the Democrats have done a good job of not attacking Amy Coney Barrett personally within the Senate confirmation hearings, which was a huge win for them. Um, and I think they've done a good job of getting the message out to the American people of just like, listen, the Republicans are trying to trying to run roughshod over over everything that you want here. You you don't even get a say in all this. The Republicans are just running straight through it. Um, but they're expected to go ahead and vote on this. Uh, the Senate. Uh, uh, judiciary committee should be voting on this. I believe the 22nd, October 22nd, they should have a 12 to 10 Republican majority, which will then push that to the Senate as a whole on October 26th. And, uh, that full Senate vote, they're expected to have about 53, have a 53 to 47 majority there in the Senate. So she's definitely going to get confirmed. Um, pretty, Pretty kind of a standard for what we thought was going to happen, but also kind of surprising that the Republicans legitimately did get up and move on this. So um, last thing for this story, Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, came out and said this. Um, they, speaking about the Republicans, have the votes on their side and in the committee right now. They have the raw political pow power, but might does not make right. And then he said, they're going, they're doing it because they can, but we're making our case to the American people. It's kind of the sentiment that a lot of the Democrats have had for a little while on this. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, not only in the presidential race, but also in the senatorial races as well. There's a lot of people that are looking at these Senate races that are happening, like Lindsey Graham, for example, here against Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. Um, there's a lot of people that are looking at it and they're like, I don't know. I don't really like the Republicans pushing people through like this. I'd rather have a say. And it may not bode well for Republicans going into their Senate races here within the next month. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. We've only got a couple weeks left until November 3rd. So that's the show. Let's go ahead and finish up on something that made me smile. So something that made me smile. I'm sorry, guys, but I'm going to have to do it. This is a shameless plug. Something that made me smile was yesterday... We got the website up and running. Woohoo! Website is good. It is live. Please go there and check it out. This made me smile because it was a lot of hard work done by my wife, who is fantastic at all things, but especially at website building and any type of graphic design. Um, huge shout out to her. 
and uh, it, we got it up and running. It's ready to go. So from there, you'll be able to find pretty much any and all the information that you need. You'll be able to fill out a contact form if you want to contact me specifically and say hey, or if you want to uh, ask a question or give any type of feedback. It'll show you all the places that you can get my podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or Audible, uh, YouTube, and there is going to be some more very interesting stuff hitting our YouTube channel here soon. Can't say exactly what it is, but you're going to want to check that out. Um, and so the website is up and live. It is splitthedifference.com. That's only with one T. So S-P-L-I-T-H-E difference.com. Go and check that out. It looks good. We got a couple of good picks up there. Um, I'm super excited about it. Would love for you guys to be able to give me some feedback on it and tell me what you like about it. Um, huge shout out to my wife for getting that up and running. So that 100% is what made me smile this week. Sorry if that's a shameless plug there, but I've got to do it when I can. Um, that's all for the show today. Please check us out on our website. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Check me out on YouTube. Uh, Split the Difference podcast uh, for Instagram. Split the Difference on Facebook and YouTube. If you uh, want to get in touch with me, shoot me a comment. Like, subscribe, write a good review, five-star review. Uh, we need as many of those as we can get. We appreciate it. Thank you for stopping in and dropping by. Remember, as always, keep a level head be reasonable, and always split the difference. This is with Austin Taylor.